Hello again. Welcome back again to Chris Anderson, as well as everybody else listening today. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. Are you out of vacation time, Chris? I am out of vacation time. I'm officially done. You know how I like to do it. I've done it every every year. I, I get I get crap for it every time. I, I take my vacations in bunches. So that's it until probably March or April. Um, so enjoyed it while I did. You really don't have like a bank of vacation hours like I do, though, do you? You could theoretically take every other day or every other week off, right? Right. Interesting. Maybe. I've been married 13. Yeah, don't get any ideas, please. I've been married 13 years. My is at the end of August. And if you go back in the timeline of my career, I was just a basketball beat writer. And frankly, that's what I really wanted to do. I had a whole bunch of fun covering John Beeline's teams back before I was married. And then when I got married and part of our plan of getting married was, all right, let's look at our career calendars. And when do we want to have a wedding? And, you know, anniversaries, maybe I go on anniversary trips every year, every so many years. Typically, people do that is what I was told before I got married. So we picked the end of August, um, August 25th, which was great for a basketball beat writer and for somebody who at that time, my wife had a university job and her job's pretty mobile in a calendar sense. You're not missing um, anything if you take a week off that you couldn't otherwise do before or after. It's not like she's a blogger and has to be at fashion week in Paris every year. I love that'd be pretty cool, but nothing that you can't miss that you would know ahead of time. You can work around. So we did August 25th. Lo and behold, I decided that maybe it'd be more fun to cover multiple sports. And I was getting bored covering just one during the summer. So one of the reasons, apart from being miserable that I left one newspaper and went to the daily mail in Charleston was I got to cover both sports. Also the paper only published six days a week. And I thought, wow, I get a free day off every week, which is not what happened. Sort of like my dream of being a garbage man when I was a kid because I thought they only worked one day a week. Not the same. And garbage man and sports journalists, some <laughs> would tell you, is very similar. Anyhow, I digress. I'm suddenly doing anniversaries and anniversary trips at the end of August, which is kind of an important time for football seasons. Later on in my life, I was also doing adjunct professor work, which kind of is important at the end of August. And while I was at the Daily Mail, my boss, Jack Bogachik, not only had a late August anniversary, it was the exact same day as mine. We were both August 25th anniversary, so I did not get a lot of um, convenient anniversary scheduling. Uh, I'm still married somehow. Uh, the, <laughs> the explanations oftentimes elude me, and that's one reason, because our, our honeymoon period so to speak i guess you know the the it's supposed to last for many years in fact it's lasted for 13 because i'm sure my wife is listening but uh did not get the full gamut of, of honeymoon stuff and i forget where i was actually going here but i think i was trying to think that uh thanks to you i've been able to get some anniversary vacation time back again uh our schedule is pretty loose and easy here and did it again this year it was the middle of the week and you wouldn't have really known it uh, i was able to work mobile uh, there's not a whole lot going on where you have to be in front of people which is why my hair is extremely long right now. Um, but it's kind of coming back to normal now, Chris, because you're back on the ground. I'm stapled into my desk. Did get a haircut. Not a dramatic one. Don't be uh, alarmed. The headband is still going. And we have a football game coming up sooner or later. We have one in our pocket already, a kind of entertaining FCS one, a real FBS game tomorrow night. And then before you know it, we'll be in front of our TV screens noon Fox Sports 1, Saturday the 12th, Eastern Kentucky. Um, I'll end my ramble here, but you can tell I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I can I can hear it in your voice, Mike. I definitely can. And I I, I think, I, I mean, I think there's a little bit of uneasiness as we approach because we have seen over the last, say, week to 10 days of teams postponing their season opener, moving them, moving them to different dates and all this stuff because of, mild outbreaks or sometimes not so mild outbreaks at the school, not necessarily within the team, but uh, at, at schools. And I will feel a lot better when we get to say, how long have the kids been in, in, at school now at WVU? What, six days, seven days? Today is a week. Today is a week. So I'll feel a lot better a week. for If we get to next Tuesday of game week, I'll feel a lot better. 
about how things are going. Say so September 9th and a lot of those power five games kicking off on September 16th or September 12th, excuse me. Um, I will feel a lot better because I think then, then once you get to that point, you get through kind of that about two to three weeks for almost every major college out there of having students back on campus. And if nothing happens in that span, I think it's all clear from there. It, it, I mean, and I do mean all clear. I think that's that's the last big hurdle. And then you're kind of moving on with the season and that's it. Yep. I am. I'm still optimistic. I've been that way for as long as I've decided to make up my mind in one direction or the other. It's more fun this way. I'm kind of worried because you and I are not the only ones celebrating. Um, there's a lot of people packed into bars in Mon County. They just opened back up and it was met with the enthusiasm you would expect. You can find the photos and videos and social media and you just kind of do the, the face palm because it's just not what's supposed to happen, right? If you want to do that, don't do it right now. Wait till the, the coast is clear on that stuff. Um, I don't know how you keep bars closed and students are back in town and expect to have a functioning uh, student body, I guess. This is just part of the college experience now. You have to go to a bar and knock down a quarter pitcher on a, on a Friday night. Maybe. I don't know. But some of the numbers here for the testing aren't good. And the results didn't come back um, earlier this week. So the reporting is kind of foggy right now. I'm not sure what that is, but I believe they have, oh boy, a small percentage of the student population is is already positive test plus contact tracing quarantine. Um, it's a bigger number. I don't want to say because I can't remember exactly what it is in my head, but it's significant because it's only a couple of days in. And I know a lot of people will ratio me on this probably, but they're saying, oh, it's only, you know, one, two percent of the student body population. Hey, that's great. If you were like weeks into the semester, these results came back like four days into the semester and it would be less concerning if not only it was later in the semester, but if like 60% of the classes weren't being offered online and if the majority of your student body was consistently on campus, it's not. So that means that, you know, some of the on-campus provisions are probably working. Having online classes or hybrid models or having people who don't need to be leaving their house consistently to be on campus that's probably working, but you still have people who are going out and being students and being young adults and being adolescents and um, wanting to be social. And maybe there's some spillover into these positive test results. It does seem, though, there's nothing going on as far as positive tests in the athletic department. It seems like it's been under wraps for a long time. Is that just discipline and those people being conditioned for as long as they have? They got back here in June um, and they're used to being isolated and they know they're so close now to the start of their season or the start of their practice that. Hey, just keep it going. We've sacrificed for this long. We can keep a little bit more if we want to get what we really want. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think uh, since they started mandatory workouts in the middle of July, there was what the one uh, false positive, it sounds like. Uh, I believe, you know, they, they kept saying zero, but then Neil Brown um, said there was a positive, but then they tested it again and it was negative. So all of that over the course of almost two months, that's that's pretty amazing for 100 plus kids and, and staffers on top of that. That is pretty remarkable. And, and like you said, it's I was concerned about it because we've seen with with this virus, really all it takes is one person to say uh, whatever or to sl even just not to say whatever, just to slip up. I mean, you can make mistakes. You can you know, think you're doing a, a decent job and, and still somehow get it. Uh, we saw that with. Um, former receiver David Sills for the Giants. He was like one of the very first players in the NFL placed on that COVID injured list. And he came out and admitted in an interview just the other day that he thought he was doing all right. He was wearing a mask, thought he was staying socially distant from people and, and keeping a tight bubble and still ended up getting it. So I'm not saying if you get it that you're just being careless, but these are college kids. And there are always things where it's, can all 120, uh, once you add in walk-ons and everybody else, and, and again, not even talking about student assistants, graduate assistants, uh, trainers, film guys, uh, everybody has to stay diligent on top of this. I did not, I thought it would be better than if they were just out in the open population with the students and having no football, but I did not think it would be zero all the way through. That's remarkable because i assumed at least a couple would say eh, it's not that bad and get it and then pass it on to a few more and then they'd have to quarantine 
you know, 20 people. So it's pretty remarkable that WVU is, is where they are right now. One thing that strikes me is that of all the contact tracing they did were you and I had lunch, Chris, you tested positive. That means I got to go in a room for two weeks. I'm contact traced. I don't think they had any positives on contact tracing. And if they did, the numbers have changed. It was zero before, but like you're talking a small, small number, which is remarkable. And you consider they had 19 people at one time test positive and you figure how many people did those 19 interact with? You would assume that 19 is going to be much larger subsequently when those people who are contact traced are tested and they probably I don't know, half, two thirds, maybe test positive. That didn't happen. And even though isolated one, two, four, three people, it didn't really multiply there. So that's pretty good as far as results and outcomes go, too. I think part of this is, too, is that think about who's new on campus. You had people who, I don't know, rushed back initially who were on the team last year. I shouldn't say rushed back. They came back initially to start in June, July, whatever. Um, and they've been on campus before. They're somewhat accustomed to Morgantown in varying capacities. They've been here longer, they've been here shorter, but they've been here. Who's coming in next? You're talking about transfers who are on a mission. They are Bryce Brand. There are guys like him, Scotty Young, who are here for a specific purpose, and it's football. Hey, I've been a college student. I've done my thing. I've partied. I've had fun. I've been social. I'm here now for a explicit reason. I'm going to follow the program, and I'm going to do what they tell me to do. So, one, I can ingratiate myself to my new teammates and coaches too i can actually be eligible imagine if you got sick right away because you're out at a party you're gonna you may be off the team pretty quick right um yeah. and then three like this is it man this is your last chance maybe you have two seasons now but like you really got to make most of the time and then after that you're talking freshmen who aren't 21 you can still get into a bar down there but like i imagine that the the focus on actions like that are still going to be higher than ever and then transfers and guys like you know, who's who's coming from a junior college in a small town in Mississippi or Iowa or Kansas, typically, they don't have a lot of stuff like that. So they're not going out looking for the hotspots and the parties and, and the bars and the high street experience because they don't really know about it. So some of those things may have actually worked out in addition to what seems like a pretty simple message. Um, I would say threats, you know, just judging by Neil Brown. <laughs> I'm, not saying he's, I'm not saying he's a threatening guy, but he basically said we're going to lose guys. Uh, if they make mistakes, not because like, you know, they're going to not be able to play, but we're not going to have them, you know, and if they screw up and they don't have the privilege to play for us anymore. So that seems like it's maybe backed itself up. And uh, again, like I think we're so close to right now. And you look at some of the, the stronger voices on this team. We talked to Don Darius Stills the other day and he pretty much said, I tell my guys, you're a grown up. You're going to do what you want to do. But like, understand you're doing it for all of us here. And if you screw up, you screw up for all of us. And would not want that guy <laughs> texting me to have a face-to-face -face meeting if I just found out I tested positive because I went to, I don't know, some bar or some house party, and all of a sudden here's Darius still saying, hey, would you mind coming over? I'd like to talk to you. I'm doing what I can to avoid that conversation. I'm staying in, I'm wearing a mask, and I'm just going to hold myself down until September 12th. I was going to say, Mike, don't don't be naming any bars on the podcast unless we get monetary compensation first, okay? We yeah. we got to work on that. We're, we'll we'll find we'll find a a sponsor on the bar scene uh, to have these discussions each week. But uh, <laughs> let's talk some uh, some upcoming stuff that we have planned here because you and I discussed this, and I think we have the makings of uh, at least an immediate schedule and maybe something more permanent uh, beyond that. But I'd like to cordially invite you, Chris. And I believe you invited Neil Brown to our highly anticipated 70-man travel roster podcast. We're going to do that Friday and go through it quickly-ish, I guess. But who are the 70 players on offense, defense, and don't forget special teams that you can travel with to a road game. When you go to a road game, let's say Oklahoma State, you can only bring 70 players. That has not been expanded. I thought maybe it would, but has not. 70 players... Who do you bring? How many quarterbacks? How many linebackers? How many long snappers do you bring? It sounds like it's an easy thing because, again, you have 85 people on scholarship. You have dozens more as walk-ons. Hey, getting 70, that's not hard at all. It's kind of the problem. It is hard because you have so many players. you got to make some decisions. It's going to be more unusual than ever before, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I said it on the pod last year when we did it. Uh, when you first brought up this idea, I was like, that's easy. I, I could probably name you know 65 of them right now and then it's just picking special teams after that but it it's not that it's really not it wasn't last year and this year is going to be 
it's going to be a lot harder because, uh, and I've been thinking about this ever since, you know, we were talking about how we need to do this soon. They travel before. So if they're doing testing three days a week, right, of game week, and currently the plan is to test the, the final test, that's going to be Saturday morning, right? No. The, the, the quick I think, saliva test, or are they going to try to do it Friday afternoon? Well, they haven't. Correct me if I'm wrong. They haven't released this yet. We've only seen ADs talking about this, correct? Like yeah. Jamie Pollard, Shane Lyons. They're going to test the day after a game, Wednesday, which is before you practice. You figure that you, that's the day after you practice. Typically, you start practice on Tuesday. So they're going to go Sunday, Wednesday, and then an antigen test on Friday. They're going to hope against hope that they get the results from Sunday back before Wednesday and Wednesday back before Friday. And then Friday is going to be an antigen test, which could take just a couple of hours. West Virginia is going to have a lab. Uh, Quest Diagnostics, I believe, helping for, I believe it's 85 bucks a pop on Sunday and Wednesday. And then the Big 12 is supposed to facilitate the antigen testing, and they'll have somebody come in and administer or leave the equipment and teach West Virginia how to do it. Or not, It won't be like Neil Brown and Dante Wright are doing the test, but somebody medically inclined will do the antigen testing on Fridays, and you'll have it back within a couple of hours. So in theory, you should be able to get on a plane Friday afternoon, knowing who's positive and who's not. Okay, but that, but here's here's the question there. Yeah. What if an antigen is uncertain? And antigen tests. Now we're into the weeds here, but they are not the best at completely accurate results for active cases. What an antigen test does is it gets you the protein um, that of, of the virus that it's pretty strong indication that something is wrong. Um, it's an antigen, but there is debate about how active it is for someone who has an active case. So it's conceivable, although it would seem like a long shot, someone could test negative Sunday again on Wednesday and then be exposed between the testing on Wednesday, the result in between that and the antigen test on Friday. So you wonder how many people are left behind, not because they're positive, but because there's a uncertain or an indefinite or, or just the antigen test doesn't work out in that person's benefit. But, (laughs) <laughs> that's impossible to predict for our 70. But what that might mean is maybe you bring, you know, what's what's the position that brings a lot of people that's more likely to have somebody who is left behind? Receiver, offensive line, defensive back. Maybe you actually add an additional person to your 70 in those because hypothetically here, TJ Simmons is not cleared to travel. But hey, we're going to add one more receiver to our 70 and that person will be ready to go. Maybe that person doesn't normally get into our 70, but maybe he is this year. So, um, and then just the number of freshmen too, right. That you would not normally not bring because you're not going to play him. There's no reason not to play freshmen this year. And if you think someone's good enough or needs the experience, travel with them. Why not? Well, I think that's where that the Friday issue was where I was wondering What's the plan here? Because if if they're able to figure out who will be cleared to play before the teams, before West Virginia actually has to fly for an away game, then I, I don't know how much will change uh, as far as how I'd make my initial 70-man roster. But if you know they, they have to be on their toes for anybody getting pulled out last minute, then yeah, we're going to get a lot more versatile guys, guys that can play both sides of the ball, multiple positions, whatever. And... That would really throw a wrench into things. But if they can get it done and get on the plane knowing exactly who, you know, is going to play the 70, these are 70, they're all clear, they're going to play tomorrow or are able to play tomorrow, then I've got my list. I've I've already been working on it, Mike, and I am pretty close to 70. It's hard. I'm at like 66, 67, but I'm also like, oh, my God, there's eight people left that I think need to be on this list. And what am I going to do? But. How many long snappers do you have? Well, I definitely have two. That's my rule. (laughs) Well, and I I was also backed up on national television last week, which we'll get to. So it has to happen. Um, And it's it's a good point, too. Like, I'm talking about maybe bring an extra receiver or an extra player at a position that already has a number of them. But you're right. That might not be the smartest thing. Maybe you bring somebody who doesn't normally fit into a position but can play that position. So, listen, David Vincent O'Coley is going to travel. There's no doubt in my mind there. I'm not – I haven't – I actually didn't have him on my initial list here, but Reese Smith, for example, he could, he could not, I'm not sure. But if you have a guy who can play slot, but also in a pinch be your safety for emergency situations in the game, maybe he can play like on a nickel package you never use 
but you may have to. Maybe he can be in there if a guy gets cramps or if a guy gets hurt or if a guy gets ejected or targeting. All of a sudden, you're down a couple extra safeties in addition to positive tests. Well, hey, that's a guy who has value now, too. And maybe he doesn't make your list, but maybe you had to put him on there now because it's 2020 and this is going to be a strange season, too. So um, I will uh, I'll make sure that we share our podcast from last year. It was kind of rough and refined, and I think that we were working our we were working out our problems on the air <laughs> as it happened. But it's a good indication of what we're going to do this time. We're we're more professional, more smooth. So uh, hopefully that gets better. But we'll do that Friday. Um, and I'm making a note here about the 70 man because I want to come back to that. Um, and I think what we're going to try to do, Chris, is every Monday now a Q and A about the game that just happened. We podcast immediately after games on Saturday. So theoretically by Five o'clock on Saturday the twelfth, we'll have a mm-hmm. podcast up. Rapid reacts to the game. What happened when they clobbered EKU? Um, but we don't have a lot of chance to answer questions or address observations that listeners make. We're going to open up a mailbag or a post or whatever after the game, and then we'll address those in a podcast on Monday morning. Something a little bit more interactive and immediate, rather than having to flush things out for a whole week. It's going to be a weird season, but I kind of like that idea. And uh, hey, kudos to you. That was your idea, right? Yeah, I think uh, it's always, I think a lot of people like rhythm and people like interaction that provides both. And um, yeah, because you're always going to get our thoughts, like you said, right after the game. We give our thoughts, raw, unfiltered thoughts right after the game um, for better or worse. And then give fans a a day or so to think about it, ask some questions. We'll answer Monday and then we can just kind of move on to the next week. And then obviously the, the, second or third podcast of the week later in the week we'll be getting ready for the next game so uh, i think it's a good good way to go i need everybody to put down their torches and pitchforks please i have to make this announcement and it pains me i shared it with our vip board yesterday i can't do film or fiction anymore i can't do any sort of film review um i have more time than ever i'm more interested than ever than doing it because it's going to be challenging and I think rewarding to cover the team this year, but there's various licensing concerns and rules that we can't breach by using other people's video uh, on our site. So for years and years, we've done film pieces after a game. We look at a player who had a good game, a key sequence in a game, you know, what was good, what was bad in a game. Pretty popular, I think informative, and people seem to dig in and look at it and enjoy it. Can't do them anymore. Um, However, I've shared with you this morning a workaround. It's mm-hmm. not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be 2,500 words and 12 clips. It's going to be small, digestible things. We can't give it away, but there's some potential there, right? I think so. I got to look at it. Um, we did have the uh, request from some users for a lingerie reenactment. Uh, I believe they were talking about you and I wearing it, but I guess we could settle for this for, for your idea instead. I meant to ask you, have you banned those people who asked that? <laughs> No. Uh, let's um let's get into topics here. We're 24 minutes in and haven't really talked about what we're going to talk about here, but we were just talking about our 70 man roster podcast. That's the most you can travel with to a road game. Um, there does seem to be like a magic number that's out in the ether right now about how many players you have to have. I did not see this until you had posted it. And again, this did not come from the Big 12 office. It came from the athletic director at Iowa State, but it seems like that their their threshold to play or not play a game. And then from there, it all depends. Can you reschedule it or not? If you can, just postpone it. If you can't reschedule it, I guess it's a forfeit. I don't know. But it's going to be basically, if you have 53 players, you can play a game. So that's strange. It's modeled after the NFL. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can get to 53. That's a whole other conversation. Um, I don't believe you have to have X amount of players, but certainly you want to have enough players at every position that you could survive. But as best as you understood this explanation, how will this work? They're, they're, they're going to set this 53-man, and then if you're under or above, above you can play, but under different things happen. But as best you understand it, because it's hard to understand, how does this 53-man cap work? It sounded like, and again, like you said, this was the Iowa State Athletic Director who, throughout this process, has... Talks a lot. He talks a lot. It's it's great for content. Yeah. He always likes to leak things out before the Big 12 actually does. So uh, kudos to him. Kudos to our Iowa State guys over at Cyclone Alert that uh, get the coverage on him. But it sounds like for a 53-man roster, if one of the teams doesn't meet that 
minimum, and they can't play later, then it's a no contest. Not a forfeit, but a no contest was the term okay. he used, which is, it, I mean, it is what it is. It, it just, like, the game never existed is what it will go down as. But I, w- I was curious how they would play that, especially if, say, one team comes in with, you know, hey, we got zero cases, and then the other team comes in with 36 people and can't play. Like, in my eyes, not to be a, um, a jerk about it, that, that's forfeit. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't do your part, and one team did. Uh, I mean, if both teams fall below the fifty-three, sure, no contest. But, um, it hey, it is what it is. Everybody's trying to figure it out right now. And like you said, there's been no official word from the Big Twelve. This is just the athletic director at Iowa State. So maybe he's interchanging those words: no contest, forfeit, or however they're going to look at it. But um, there are weeks built in, and presumably the Big Twelve made these schedules with the weeks built in so that there is some flexibility for the teams to push those games back. Not, not that, um, you know, not, not that, Hey, none of these teams have the same bye week later in the year and it's not going to work. I think they'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. I love the people who look at the schedule and say, Oh my gosh, they, uh, they have West Virginia against Oklahoma at the end of the year. They must think those two teams are going to be very good. It'll be a great game, high stakes for, national television we've heard that in the past right and typically that's been true it's not how it works it's a computerized thing that spits out the schedule because it can figure out the blanks and the the bye weeks and and things like that sometimes you'll manipulate the schedule because for example again oklahoma west virginia there was a made for tv window this is back in that four and eight season um in the second week of the season hey put those two in there it works so things like that can be moved around but by and large it's computerized shane Lyons told me that he was on the committee that did the scheduling and sat down and made sure that there was if then scenarios for all these teams where like if these two can't play, then they have a mutual open week two two weeks later, five weeks later, they can make it happen too. And then you also have that back end of the schedule where there is some room built in because they they finish earlier than the rest of the college football um, existence does right now too. So you can back pads a little bit too. But um, Pollard's Pollard's great. And I wonder if he's just weather ballooning stuff like, hey, let's put this out there and then we'll get some comments online or we'll get people on a podcast talking or we'll get national pundits tweeting about it. And then, you know, we'll see if it works or not. I think there may be some of that involved, too. But I'm also extremely interested in exactly how you get to 53. And I wonder if like. If 53 includes 11 walk ons. What are we doing? Well, and then there was part of it was I'm I'm trying to find it right now because it wasn't just hey 53. It was also like 53, and at least six of them had to be, or at least eight of them had to be offensive linemen, and at least two of them had to be quarterbacks. Which again raises the question: What if a whole room gets wiped out? Like I thought that was the whole point of guys being separated and. Um, guys practicing other positions so they could be ready to fill in in case of emergency. But um, I'm trying to see if he if he said it or if somebody else floated that idea of if it's offensive linemen or quarterbacks, then they're just not going to do it, which seems crazy to me. Love to have this answer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're still working on this or if they have like plan A, B, and C, and they're trying to figure out what's the best. I know they consulted coaches on it, um, coaches like – professional models and things that exist so i'm sure the 53 man was something like that but that's what's most curious to me like 53 okay but you only have six offensive linemen this can't work sorry you can't but we have 60 people i know but you only have six offensive linemen who are healthy but the rule's 53 sir we have 60 yes however look at rule b subsection three you have to have seven or more offensive linemen. Are we going to get that into the weeds? I hope so, because there's a competitive element you have to understand. If you're going to get into a game and all of a sudden your sixth offensive lineman rolls an ankle and he's only in the game because your fifth offensive lineman got hit in the head, are we playing a tight end or right tackle? And then how many sacks is your quarterback going to want to give up in that situation? And how different is your play calling? And are you okay losing 48-3 to three because your offensive line imploded during a game you maybe shouldn't have played? That's what I want to find out. Like, I, I like the idea of a, of a hard cap, but what goes into the constitution of that 53? That's what I, I want found to find it. out. I found it, by the way. Are the, you serious? I haven't been able to find this. I looked, I looked so, briefly and I couldn't find it. Here we go. Uh, this is from our, our friends at Cyclone Alert. The Big 12 has policies, and we're using the 53-man roster policy, Pollard told reporters on a call on Monday. So a 53-man roster is built on a set number of positions. So I think it's one quarterback, six offensive linemen, and you come up with 53 
total players. And an antigen test that the Big 12 uses on Friday will be the certification test. So that basically means you're going to have to figure out if you have 53 before Friday, and then everybody's going to have to take the antigen test, of course. But, like, if you can't certify your 53, you're not playing. Am I reading that right? Yeah. It says he does use the word. Let's see. he, He continues. As long as you had the 53 players certified and you have the minimum number at every one of those positions, then you have to play. Yeah, that's what I was reading. The minimum number at every position, I was like, that's really interesting. How are we getting yeah. there? Because that's And that's... if you're less than 53, you can have a no contest. So my question, he says you can have a no contest. If you're less than 53, can you say, nah, we're good. We're still going to win this game and play anyway? No. Right? I, I don't have... know. He, <laughs> he, he says it's a 53 minimum, but then comes back and says you can have a no contest. I guess... I guess his point is you can have a no contest if you cannot reschedule. Okay. I guess this is the next big domino. They've, they've knocked it for a few of them. They've had, and they've, with time to spare, not a lot of time on the clock, but like this isn't going to be a buzzer beater. I think they'll have this out sometime soon. Certainly you would have to before next, before Monday, right? I would think you're going to have to finalize this so you can start practicing the right people. But maybe coaches know already and this haven't released it yet. But that's, that's the next most interesting thing. And, Honestly, it's one of the most interesting things about how they're going to pull this off is how do you do a, a constitution of a roster, too? We saw in our one NCAA football game this year, Austin P. Central Arkansas, as promised, not only a winner, but we knew that was going to be a good game. We thought that was going to be a good game, um, and it was. But some takeaways from this as far as what to expect. It's not apples to apples. FCS football, not the same as FBS football. Scholarships are different. Um, the number of players you have, certainly the quality of players in addition to the quantity. It's very different, but everybody's going to be at least at the mercy of certain variables when it comes to positive tests and then how player availability can affect your team. And we saw that on display. Chris, you watched parts of this game. You read up on it. Um, what did you find interesting that may or may not apply, but certainly has to be considered when it comes to Big 12, SEC, ACC, the remaining FBS teams? My first thoughts were, one, Dag on it. Now, are we going to have to admit that Mike was right and he's going to take three long snappers on on the road? What's going on here? How, how mad was I watching the game <laughs> noticing that a backup linebacker was snapping and there was no recognition of it until the third quarter where I'm hoping somebody got in their earpiece at halftime and said, hey, that is not their first, second, or third long snapper. They were without their top three long snappers at least i've heard there might have been a fourth but certainly the top three were not there and that's why you're skipping and sailing punts punt snaps kind of important to the story of the game i'll get to that in a minute too but you're right you got to have one or two now it doesn't do you any good if both are sick or both are contact race and they can't play but um that makes you wonder how many other people are snapping are you teaching chase parent how to do long snaps are you teaching bryce and Mays how to do long snaps can can Zach Frazier do it? I don't know, but like you got to get creative in practice. That's a whole other story. But yeah, you got to have multiple long snappers because no one's going to get a positive test during the game. But man, if you lose one, you saw um, anything can happen. That may have really well cost them the game too. And uh, what was it? Three three turnovers for more than more than three turnovers. At least three interceptions and um, a lot of a lot of scoring in the fourth quarter, which makes me wonder with kind of depleted rosters and a lack of workouts during the summer is conditioning play playing a factor here i think so and i think i think that you look at who had more players or more of their quality players that was central arkansas and granted austin p had a really good drive to seemingly win the game but couldn't stop central arkansas excuse me austin p had the big drive central arkansas had the answer at the end so they kind of went back and forth but i wonder if you know, maybe the offense is a little bit ahead of the defense toward the end. That's typically not the way it goes during the season. Typically, defenses are a little bit ahead. Um, but certainly for three three plus quarters, the defense was on top. Um, something to worry about. You know, do you have, again, 53, 85, 120, whatever? Um, are they in shape? You know, and even if you have a good second or third team, are they going to be fit? Can they cut it? Can your first team play? Can they be stretched out to play a lot of the game? I don't know. We'll see. I think that's a good concern, too. Um, and again, I think we thought defense would be ahead of offense and it was offense won the game at the end but i really figured that would be an offensive game because there was a lot of firepower at least potentially for both teams austin was without maybe the best player in the fcs certainly one of the top receivers um 
not having him hurts. And their offense kind of struggled. Their quarterback was really rusty. Hadn't played a game in more than a year. So that was a bummer for them. But you could tell he was a little bit loose on some plays. And I imagine some of that's going to be true for everybody, too. So you think about people who haven't played football since November and really didn't get the spring. And they got, I don't know, two dozen real authentic practices here. Is that going to be enough? I would wonder about offense being down and defenses being up more so than normal. I think that's fair. And again, it was it was kind of sloppy. The quality of play is going to be different down there. I get that. But, um, man, sloppy was kind of fun, though. There were some times where it was really exciting and interesting. Even, you know, punts are kind of boring, but punt snaps can be fun. And sometimes interceptions are good plays by the defense. And sometimes watching the quarterback struggle and work through some things, um, that's good. But the most amazing thing to me was the first play of our college football season, the 75-yard touchdown run. I feel like we all learned that. Yeah, we did. And I, I just went back and looked. It was five turnovers in the game uh, which is pretty remarkable but you mentioned it defense might be ahead uh, even more so than usual ahead of the offense this year and I think that might help West Virginia I mean we've we've discussed last year that how all I mean for we've discussed it way more than we probably need to about how much the offense struggled last season and what was going on and the defense kind of stepped up despite all the changeover do you think that that is works out better for West Virginia, or do you think it's going to exacerbate the issues that they already had last year? Yeah, I thought about this, and I wonder if I, I have. I think the defense is going to reign eventually in the season because I, I went over this in our Friday pod last week with Alan Bell about I think that you're going to see offenses that are restricted to how much they change and how much they add, and defenses are going to get a clue and they're going to be good. Um, I think that some to some extent that might be harder at the start of the season. I don't think that West Virginia would have a great idea what EKU is going to do, except the EKU plays first. So they might have a good idea about what works and what didn't work and maybe what they're going to continue to bring in from Marshall to West Virginia. So that could be good. But then I wonder about this. You might have a good defense and you might be able to control the game, but how do you do it? Like, are you going to sit back and base stuff and just be sound and solid and make a team really dare a team to be consistent for 10, 12 plays again and again and again, there might be some logic to that. Like, if you think you got a solid defense that's going to be sound in its assignments, we've heard them talk about their back end has been good, they can cover. We know the offensive, the defensive line is going to be good. Possibilities at, at, at linebacker. And again, don't be too aggressive and risk things with your cornerbacks who maybe uh, are a little bit undercooked still. Um, I like that idea. Be sound, be basic, but be good at it and make a team consistently drive. That's smart, I think. Conversely, Raise some hell, right? Like if you if you think that offenses are a little bit unorganized or not quite as sharp and aren't quite as smooth around the edges as they need to be, test that. See if they can hold up under pressure. See if you can get your bandit uh, and an extra defensive back coming downhill with both Stills brothers, with um, Jeff Pooler, with whomever the freshman is that's playing end or tackle. Can you do something like that? Can you turn up the heat? I don't know. I think that's really interesting. You can make a good argument for both create some panic, create some chaos by turning things up on defense or be determined, be kind of bland, but be consistent and see if the other offense can be. I don't know. I think it's a great argument for both of those. That's what I'm interested to see. I got a question for you, Mike. Mm -hmm. If you are Neil Brown and you watch that game over the weekend, what changes are you making in practice over the next couple of weeks? Well, we already seen one. They went almost entirely special teams. If I read the press release right on Monday, he was concerned Saturday when he talked to us about special teams. He said they weren't ready. Guys got exposed. It wasn't a good day. And then you watch special teams positively and negatively affect the game. The bad punt snaps. Um, one thing, Austin P gave up a kickoff return at a critical moment, right after they took, took the lead in the final, I forget what it was minute, two minutes, three minutes, whatever. Um, Central Arkansas got a good return, got a spark, got a good field position, went down and won the game. The field goal kickers were good, and I think that's a good thing you want to have. So, hey, let's make sure Evan Staley and Casey Legg are good to go. Punting was successful, I think. Returns were not. And then tackling on kickoff was, by and large, pretty good. There wasn't any, like, dancing and making people miss, but there weren't guys who were out of their lanes and blowing things up. So I think we saw the positives where – you know, if you control the things you can control and you can be in your lanes and you can block guys legally and not hold, um, you can be productive in returns and you can avoid disaster if you are covering. But that doesn't nearly account for all the variables and all the things that could go wrong. So I bet you that they're working on their edges on field goal block. I bet you they're working on 
snap hold, just the timing on PATs and field goals. I bet you they were working on catching punts. I bet you they were working on, um, again, just long snaps, too. That's stuff you got to do. So they went live. They did some stuff that they had to do that didn't surprise me at all. That would be the number one thing. I don't disagree with you, but what about the other two sides of the ball? I know, I know your love for the <laughs> third side of the ball, Mike, but are you changing – what, what are you changing your practice plan for offense or defense? Are you changing uh, your thoughts on say who you're bringing to the games for who are you changing your thoughts on the 70 man roster? I'm offensively. I would like to be able to control the game in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I score six points, if I score 14 points, I want to have two time consuming drives where I'm in control and I'm, I'm not only in possession, but I'm in control of the game. Um, you should have that lead against Eastern Kentucky. So um, you should be able to at least develop some sort of mentality where, listen, we're going to hold the ball for nine minutes in the fourth quarter here. We're going to run a bunch of plays that we need to run, and we're going to do it. That's how really, I'm not sure you're going to see benches empty. Like, I, I would be surprised if guys aren't playing in the fourth quarter because they need the action. And also, like, this team needs some sort of a direction of personality right now. So I think that's one thing, too. I'd, I'd figure out how to get to a point where I can control that game in the fourth quarter. And I want a power run, too. I want to be a power running team because I think you can wear teams down. And does West Virginia want to go to Oklahoma State and get into a track meet with that offensive talent? Heck no. Um, so finding a way to be more authoritative on offense, running the ball. And we saw some some strong runs by both teams in that game where it, it felt like the defenses were wearing down a little bit. But it also happened early, too. So you can set a tempo early that, that pays off later. And defensively, I'd, I'd, I'd like to t- challenge offenses. I don't know how you do it. Um, I, I think the timing is going to be off. There are a lot of deep passes, and there are a lot of timing-related things. It just didn't work, and that's natural. Um, the timing isn't there for a lot of these quarterbacks and receivers because it's just it's so new right now. It's more new than it ever is in the first game of the season. So let's be disruptive. I think you could be basic, and you could just defend the things that require timing, but if you can speed up that clock or you can take people out of their comfort zone, you know, knock them out of their lanes, knock them out of their windows and all that stuff, I think you could be more effective on defense. So I would try to find ways to play a little bit more aggression, a little bit more pressure on defense. Because that's going to be more. West Virginia's. That's going to be West Virginia's success on defense, right? Is how much, as you say, havoc can they create? Right. I I, I couldn't agree more with the first part too about controlling that fourth quarter. Because again, that was my big takeaway. Is I felt like the play was sloppy, and guys got tired. Conditioning fourth quarter kind of got crazy in that first game. Lots of scoring, uh, lots of back and forth. It looked like guys were winded. If you can. Again, this was not WVU's strong suit last year, but there seems to be some confidence building this fall camp that maybe the run game will be okay, maybe good, who knows. But if you can have a, an offense that can go out there and just kind of pound the ball in the fourth quarter, control the ball, not turn it over and just wear down the other team, I think you know that that is how I would change things after watching that first game. I don't want to do a depth chart conversation because we're going to probably do one emergency pod whenever they drop the real depth chart, probably on Monday, we think. Mm-hmm. But how many offensive linemen do you think travel? Not travel. How many offensive linemen do you think play in the opener? Oh, play? Meaningful snaps? Let's not say special teams because you might see like Blaine Scott, for example, be a right guard on field goal PAT. Right. I'm not counting that. I'm saying offensive snaps. How many play? Five for sure, but how many subs? Okay. And I, I am eliminating, like you said, special teams. And if West Virginia gets up by 30, um, Fair, six. Yeah. I, I say six. I think it's going to be the five and then Bryson Mays. You don't think Frazier plays? Not in, not unless it's a, a kind of a blowout situation, no. Okay. Do you think he's the backup center? Do you think it's Mays? I think it's Mays. I think Mays is basically the backup at – Left guard, center, right guard, maybe even right tackle. Oh boy. Uh oh. I no, I, I'm I'm not sure I disagree with you there. I just that that concerns me. Um I don't I don't know they've gotten what they wanted out of a handful of second line players yet. In fact, I don't think they have. I'm also not sure they could have. Remember, they've only really been going full squad for a little over is it, it's not even two weeks now, right? It's about right. eleven, twelve days, something like that. And that's not even eleven, twelve practices. So Going split squad, you don't really get a lot done. But I think that they saw some people in the split squad stuff that they had hopes for, or at least crossed their fingers that maybe maybe this happens when we go full what hasn't happened. So, yeah, you're looking. See, I, I think you go seven. 
I do. Because we don't know who the left tackle is. I've heard that Yates has been really good, and it's so even with him and Junior Uzebu that you wonder how much better Yates can get if he gets the playing and the practice time. But that's two. Committer, Barrett, Brown, Hughes. Now we're at six, and then you're probably right. I think seven is the most, which leads me to believe about, you know, what are we talking about with Parker Moore? I bet you he's close. I bet you they get to eight. I think he's the guy. Um, but I would think that your backup right tackle is probably Mays at this point. He's just gotten a lot of talk, and you haven't heard about Parker Moore as much. But seven more, if they get to eight, is eight. And that's not terrible, but it's certainly six. And then, you know, we'll see about Mays. I'm not sure they throw him at right tackle. If, if That would be really interesting. If something happens to Hughes, who goes in? Is it Mays, who's only really been doing this for, as best as we can tell, about a week and a half? Or do you play Uzebu? Do you put Uzebu left and put Yates at right? I don't know. Or is more the guy right now at the backup? I don't know. The difference between seven and eight is pretty interesting to me. And, and part of the reason that I, I picked Mays is basically the backup across the board, except maybe at left tackle. If we're to believe what we're told, that there's a true battle going on there, uh, then I would think that whoever the quote-unquote loser of that battle is ends up being the backup at left tackle. But part of the reason I picked Mays to be the backup of the other four spots is for the exact reason you're saying, is that everything was so limited this offseason. It started so late, no spring ball. I ha- it, it benefits the veterans. It benefits the guys that have done it before. And Bryson Mays has done it before. He has not only played, he's started, and he did it all last year. So I think he's going to have a leg up on those other guys right now. Mays is a fascinating case. He went through so much last season. And if he can channel that and use that to his benefit, he's going to be wise beyond his status this season. But if you can, if you can imagine doing what he did as a redshirt freshman who probably physically wasn't ready to go, that's no offense to him, but he was just a little bit raw. And then to get thrust in the snap, and I think he did he start seven times maybe? And he was playing big all-conference NFL-type guys. Um, and it showed sometimes, and he eventually receded and, and wasn't starting and playing. And it's easy to blame him, but it's also easy to overlook how difficult that might have been. But I've talked to him a few times. He's smart. He seems like he's got the right approach. He's got that offensive lineman personality. And if he can take those experiences and using his advantage, he's going to be a lot better than he could or should be this year. Maybe now physically it's got to happen again for him too. But I mean, if he's playing tackle and guard, that means that there's something there physically they like about him too. So it's, there's a lot hinging on him, but I think there's a lot of reasons to believe in it. Also, I heard this too, and I'm not sure if it ever really got off the ground because it was so strange, but I think that they had plans to play more Parker Moore. Um, guard in the spring and, and it might have happened in, in the one or two days that they're out there doing stuff but i think there was an idea to look at him and figure out all right does he figure into our best five as a guard uh, or in some rotational aspect as a guard because tackle there is some traffic i think you can agree with that and maybe it's quicker to him because i think they like him a lot you've heard him for example more than donovan beaver um i wonder if that's one of those guys that man you, you could you can make a long list of names for people who who missed out in the spring and Moore's a guy because I think he looks like a tackle and he probably plays like a tackle. But if there's a chance for him to play this year and add some depth as a guard, you kind of missed out on that. And that's not his fault. And maybe at this point now you're just saying, you know what, more likely that he's going to help us more quickly here um, as a tackle. He just didn't have those 15 practices and all the film and all that stuff in the spring. Um, that's just one that stands out to me, too. And we haven't even mentioned this. What's the other Jaquay Hubbard? I think if he gets in, he's your backup left guard. Um, if he's eligible, we haven't even mentioned it. Let's say he's eligible. Is he in your top seven, top eight? Does yeah. he play Saturday? Yeah, I think he's – I don't know if he plays Saturday. Um, I don't know how – so Saturday – I'm trying to do the math on how long he's actually been practicing because you know how a lot of college coaches are about guys starting late and they typically you know, want to reward the guys that have been there from the very beginning. But uh, he would be in my seven if it were a normal situation. If it were normal, you know, if he had been there at the start of spring and he's eligible or start of fall camp and eligible because he, he did get started, what, a week and a half late or so. Um, but he's he's definitely in there. Remember, Sean Ryan was practicing with the ones down until the very end. And they were giving Daggy. Daggy wasn't 100 percent healthy, I don't believe, but they were giving him reps, too. So I think that they play these guys just in case as much as they can. But right about now is when you're like, all right, we, we kind of got to pare things down if they have Hubbard in or out. That's a talent there. Um, I would think he'd be in line to play. He's been their backup left guard. Committer's not coming off the field, so that's that's a hard call if he's going to be a guy who plays top six, top seven. 
I would probably put him behind both Mays and Yusebu slash Yates. So seven for sure, and he would be the question as to eight. So as we're talking, we're, we're seeing these words come out of our mouth and our conversation evolve. Suddenly they have more people than they did six minutes ago, right? <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Let's wrap it up on this, Chris. NCAA rules, you and I love to scheme about breaking them or at least bending them and seeing you know how much they're willing to uh, flex for our, our worst intentions. But there's an interesting one. I wrote about this yesterday. It's a free story you can check out on the site, so don't get mad. I'm not plugging the VIP content. But um, recruiting is still in a dead period through the end of the month. I'll ask you separately if you think that's going to go through October through the season. What do you foresee as the fate of that? But right now, it's definitely in a dead period to the end of the month. No official visits, no unofficial visits on campus, and coaches can't go off campus and have any face-to-face contact or any um, scouting in person. But the NCAA says that we can't keep prospective student-athletes, recruits. We can't keep recruits from coming to the university on their own and taking an official university tour. Now, it also says that the student athlete cannot have a virtual tour with the athletic department while it's on campus for a traditional university tour. And there can be no, basically you can't recruit in a virtual sense when a recruit is physically on your campus. So hypothetically a 2021 tight end, (laughs) he decides that he's going to come and he's going to visit and he's going to get in the bus with all the kids who are going to be English majors and sociology majors and journalism majors. And they're going to be in the marching band and they're going to be in a frat and they're going to work for the DA typical student body, but he's on the bus and they're going around and they're stopping at Woodburn hall and they're stopping at the mountain lair and they're stopping at Martin hall and they're looking at Stewart hall. They can do that. You can't keep from doing that, which is a way for a player to get a look at the campus and get a look at what it's like when the student body's there and get a look for the weather. And, oh, my God, there's a lot of hills here. I'm not so sure about this. Stuff that wouldn't otherwise happen because right now that same 21 tight end, he can't come to campus on an official visit or an unofficial visit. It's a loophole. People love and live to exploit loopholes. How can West Virginia use this to its advantage in an athletic department sense? Well, a lot of the recruits kind of took the initiative on this. Not a lot. Excuse me. That is a terrible choice of words there. A handful. Because you weren't seeing it very often. And they did it very early during this pandemic. Very early on when the NCAA canceled visits. But at that time, they weren't even allowed to, or they weren't, I I don't know if they weren't allowed to, but they weren't, it wasn't an option. They weren't taking official tours with the school. They were literally just showing up to campus and walking around. Uh, with their families, uh, walking around, seeing that they couldn't go in buildings, they couldn't go on tours. It was just, here's the town, here's the city, there's the outside of the building. Okay. And the change that you mentioned about them having school tours, that obviously helps. Um, but the school tours aren't going to go through the athletic facilities, which is going to hurt, but that's where the you, you, you kind of supplement that with a virtual visit from home, maybe uh, the day before, the day after, a couple of days before, a couple of days after, whatever. But I loved it. my favorite part of your story that was on that you put online was the preemptive strike from the NCAA because yeah. it was the first thing I thought of that I would have done when, you know, we talk about skirting the rules and cheating the rules and breaking them. It, it, the NCAA banning coaches from suddenly becoming school tour guides uh that is great my follow-up is do they also ban the people who actually do the tours for for athletics because for those who don't know neil brown's not walking these kids around the assistant coaches aren't walking these kids around um it's going to be the recruiting assistants it's going to be I'm going to mispronounce her last name, but Katie Gusto, I believe. I don't know how to say her last name, but she she is the one that leads a lot of these tours and takes these can- uh, players around campus. And is she allowed to do it? I mean, she's not allowed to take them through the athletic facilities, but she knows the campus. She is a tour guide. She has done it. So I'm curious if they would allow her to do it or if it has to be through the actual university you know, through the the standard tour guys that that do the the standard tours. I mean, what's happened to our NCAA? We were complimenting them 
quite a bit lately. I'm uncomfortable yeah. with this. Uh, I am very uncomfortable with that because that was. Uh, I don't even know if I would have thought of that at first. And the fact I'm I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in us, Mike, that, mm. that the NCAA thought of that before we did, of of coaches suddenly becoming tour guides. You can have an institutional staff member, and that is impossibly broad, and there's so much wiggle room there. And I don't know, if this, if this goes on through the football season, by the way, do you think this will get extended, or do you think it's done in September? I do, but only because, or two reasons. One, because we're seeing spikes in student population cases. So, and that's going to, you know, worry some people. And two, lawsuits, man. The NCAA is always worried about lawsuits. So are schools. And if they invite a kid up on their dime for officials or even unofficial visits in any kind of capacity, that they invite them and then they pick up the virus or get sick some way, they're always going to be worried about it. So I don't think so. I think so I, wonder gonna, I, then, I do think it's going to get extended. Excuse me. So I'm not sure that Katie G and I'm on the same boat. It looks like Gusto. It could be Gusto. It might be something different. Sorry. I apologize. We should know better. We've never met either. So I would know this if I was actually able to have introduced myself to her. <laughs> I would have gotten her name because my last name is, is a mouthful too sometimes. So I get that. So anyways, maybe Katie is reassigned on October 1st and is no longer um, in her position. But now she is institutional staff member is her title because then she can do stuff like that. And perhaps all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this bus has a whole bunch of long twitchy athletic kids on it taking a tour what a coincidence <laughs> because this is what's interesting about this this comes in a q a guide that the ncaa has built up from april to now um, most recently updated august 28th and it's just questions and answers and they come from the membership which means that a member asks may a prospective student athlete receive an in-person tour from an entity or institutional staff member outside athletics uh, e.g admissions department and the answer is yes you have to be outside athletics. So I wonder now, what can you do? You probably can't juke the numbers like that. You're not going to be able to reassign people from the athletic department to admissions and have them give tours. And even if you're talking at most one person every so often out of the large groups that regularly roll through campus. Um, and not only that, you can do the general tours, but schools themselves, like the business school, the journalism school, um, they, they all have private tours you can go on. I've, I've been teaching before and had kids walk, walk in and watch and look and parents go, oh, impressive. I like this. Um, that's actually true. That's not like self-patting on the back, but what's different now is that it, it's so, it's so limited right now, I guess that you'd have to figure out ways to do that with the people who are on the campus. It doesn't make sense to re like I said, we're joking, but reassign someone so they can talk to one kid a month. Right. But I wonder mm -hmm. if you can't bring those, if you can't bring the football department experience, the basketball department experience, the soccer baseball department experience to a visitor, why can't the tour bring the bus to the Coliseum or to Mountaineer Field? Who doesn't want to see what the football field looks like? Who doesn't want to see what the Coliseum looks like? Who wouldn't want to walk through the practice facility um, or, or like the, the basketball practice facility? Could a tour be reimagined, hit the ground running on October 1st, and all of a sudden, hey, we're going to go visit the Pushkar Center. Hey, guys, we're going to go look at the basketball practice facility. I don't think that some kid from Teaneck, New Jersey is going to get banned out of shape because he has to go look at the basketball practice facility. It's probably a pretty cool highlight. And he's going to see the Coliseum when he drives by too. And if that same bus happens to have the kid from Teaneck, New Jersey, but also that 2021 tight end, two birds, one stone, right? This is how, yeah. how into it I'm getting now. Well, I don't understand why the, 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 at least the stadium and the Coliseum, I don't understand why they're not on there anyway. Uh, you know, Hey, this is part of the student experience. You will come watch, games in these locations eventually three or four years from now maybe but you're going to watch it so i i don't understand why those aren't part of the tour anyway uh you might be stretching it with the go see the indoor practice facilities that only the basketball team has <laughs> access to but um unfortunately it's not right next to you know the rec center that everybody else has access to but it's still uh, you might have to get a little persuasive with that one well we should be on retainer to help people break rules because i think we've done it again here there, there's ways to do this i love it and again we've maybe we've had too much time on our hand but like listen you're gonna have to be creative if you want to recruit and this seems like a way to do it and i that's definitely a question i'm gonna ask brown in the future not like hey how do you cheat but hey how can you take advantage or use or whatever, but how can you make the most out of this ability to have kids visit 
in an official capacity. And he might just say, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. Nonsense. He's thought about it. I'm sure he's sitting in his room, fingers pressed against each other, steepling his temples, trying to figure out what to make work here. Uh, and we'll see. All of a sudden, they start rolling in recruits because they love their official or they love their campus tours. Uh, and I think we've got an answer to the question that may never actually get answered. I think he enjoys that. Just as much as he enjoys making depth charts, Mike. It's <laughs> a great Q&A right there, too. <laughs> yeah. At least he's honest. That's good, though. Well, honestly, we've gone over an hour here, too. I think everybody likes that now, so that's good. But we talked a lot, covered more than we expected, and we'll be back Friday with the 70-man whenever the bat signal appears for the depth chart emergency podcast, and then starting off uh, next week with a Q&A. Uh, on Monday, too. So, man, three times a week. Now, this is gonna be, actually, four if you count game days. Chris, we're going to be busy. We uh, have to drink tea and make sure we aren't horse. Yeah, I think people are excited. I think that that's a nice little um, heater run of, of podcasts there. A lot of fan favorites. You know, 70-man roster, depth chart, mailbag, boom, 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 start a season. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting times on the pod. Can't get here soon enough, so let's get out of here and and keep the hands on the clock spinning. It'll be here before you know it. But until next time, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.